Details of two new farming funding schemes this week, but they sound complicated. But in order to be able to, to claim that money, you've got to be testing your soil for organic matter and preparing a soil management plan. You've got to have 70% of your land with uh, winter cover and then also be adding organic matter into your soil. So it's quite a big criteria to meet. More from Ella Redrup from Masons a little later and some good news if you've been a victim of hair coursing as part of our review of rural crime with Chief Inspector Phil Vickers from Lincolnshire Police. Some very old legislation looks set to be replaced. We're talking about the Game Act of 1831, the Night Poaching Act of 1828. These are really old offences and they don't really reflect the impact on the victims in Lincolnshire in the 21st century. We also welcome auctioneer Oliver Chapman from Loud livestock market with his first weekly sale report and kit dickinson's back looking at the grain markets the week in agriculture this is the farming program with steve orchard good morning in the news this week the bird flu outbreak continues with two more incidences in lincolnshire taking the national total to 64 since october last week also saw the first case of the disease transferring from bird to human although it must be said this is very rare and appeared to result from the individual having very close regular contact with a large number of infected birds Aldi has announced plans to recruit over 100 new farmers and suppliers this year in a bid to accelerate its commitment to sourcing British. Aldi's fresh meat, eggs, milk, butter and cream is already sourced from British suppliers, whilst more than 40% of its fresh produce is also British. The supermarket is seeking to accelerate this commitment by increasing its spend with British suppliers by £3.5 billion by the end of 2025. If you're interested in becoming a supplier to Aldi, visit aldi.co.uk. UK slash suppliers. Two farming events have been victims of COVID-19 this week. Here's the farming programme's Julie Caston with the details. Lama, which was due to take place this week, has been moved to the 4th and 5th of May, still at the NEC. And last week's Oxford Farming Conference was held online rather than in person for the second year running, although it was over three days with a full programme of speakers and online seminars and discussions. Sessions included ag tech, future-proofing your land, innovation, items for new entrants into farming, livestock breeding, resilience, working towards net zero, the fallout from the Dimbleby Food Report and making a profit. There was an inspirational talk from Dame Ellen MacArthur about her journey from world-class sailor to the founding of the Ellen MacArthur Foundation and its mission to accelerate the transition to a circular economy designed to eliminate waste, circulate products and materials and regenerate nature. And there was various fringe events hosted by organisations looking at future solutions and opportunities within agriculture. There's session recordings, videos and transcripts on the Oxford Farming Conference website, ofc.org.uk. And at the Oxford Farming Conference, DEFRA Secretary George Eustace unveiled the next stages of the Environmental Land Management Scheme, ELMS. The Local Nature Recovery Scheme will pay farmers for locally targeted actions which make space for nature in the farmed landscape, such as creating a wildlife habitat, planting trees or restoring peat and wetland areas. Meanwhile, the Landscape Recovery Fund will support more radical changes to land use and habitat restoration, such as establishing new nature reserves. There's also the previously announced Sustainable Farming Incentive, which we'll hear more about from Ella Redrup at Mason's in a few minutes. The reforms are the biggest changes to farming and land management in 50 years. However, in respect to the first two, we're still rather light on the detail. We'll talk more on this with the TFA and the NFU next week.
Over the festive period on the farming programme, we've been looking back at 2021 and forward to the new year in agriculture and the countryside. To complete the review, we're going to talk rural crime today with Chief Inspector Phil Vickers from Lincolnshire Police. Phil, if we can start with hair coursing, and we've got some legislation announced the other day, which we'll come back to in a moment or two, but we're in the, the midst of the season at the moment. Bit of a slow start, but has it picked up again as normal? Yeah, it has. It's increased quite significantly, as you say, a, a slow start to the season at the end of the harvest. Um, but we've seen significant numbers of reports coming into us, particularly across the, uh, the south end of the county. Uh, I think on the one side, we know that it, it is still underreported. But meeting with farmers and farming groups, we get some reassurance that they are reporting to us on a, on a more regular basis. So we're getting a clearer picture of the, the reality of hair coursing in Lincolnshire. Now, many of these people are not local, are they? They're coming from all over the country and you're liaising with other forces to try and prevent this. That's right. Yeah, it's very much the exception that we find uh, hair courses are local to us. Uh, the vast majority will travel hundreds of miles to, to come to Lincolnshire. Uh, operation Galileo started as a, as a Lincolnshire policing operation. Uh, and now we've got 30 police forces that are working together, sharing information, intelligence and, and targeting the offenders that cause the greatest harm to us. Now, we know this is it's a scourge of the rural economy. It's a scourge of farmers uh, in rural areas and it's cruel to the animals. It damages crops. It's basically not a nice thing. And they're not nice people that are carrying this out. You've been lobbying along with other organisations like the NFU, the RSPCA, the CLA and so on for some changes to legislation. Now, we had an announcement a couple of days ago. Do you want to just talk us through what's changed and is, is it what you wanted? Yeah, this work has been ongoing now for about three years and, and, and it slowed through the general election Brexit and, and the COVID issues, obviously. But yes, it is what we wanted. It's very much a case of working with those partners. Uh, and, and we identified that the legislation that we're using at the moment, that we have to use at the moment, isn't fit for purpose. And um, I'd want to be really clear, I'm not critical of the Crown Prosecution Service or of the courts. They they use the legislation to, to the best of their ability too. But we're talking about the Game Act of 1831, the Night Poaching Act of 1828, these are really old offences and and they don't really reflect the the impact on victims um, in in Lincolnshire in the the 21st century. So um, we're very pleased to see the, the changes that have been announced. So what actually are the changes, Phil? So we're going to see that courts uh, have the power to impose penalties that that better reflect the impact of the offending. Um, At the moment, they're quite constrained on the fines that they can impose on conviction. And and we do see relatively low fines. Um, When you've got offenders who can make thousands of pounds, fines that are imposed in the low hundreds really don't scratch the surface. So the proposal is that the fines should be unlimited. So the court can take into account a whole range of factors when considering what an appropriate penalty is from that point of view, but also to impose potentially a term of imprisonment. And this is the first time that we've seen this. So to make hair coursing an imprisonable offence, up to six months in prison. Um, I don't think that we're going to see huge numbers of people going to prison for this offence, but it's a really important step to show that this is, this is being recognised for the significant impact that it has on victims. 
we're going to see new powers for police officers as well. So uh, offences of uh, being in possession of items that, that uh, support the, the hare coursing offending, uh, trespassing on land with the intention of, of hunting hare with dogs. Um, these are new offences. And, and probably for me, probably the most significant thing, and, and this did come out of the, the close work with the partners, is the courts will have the ability to ban offenders from keeping dogs. And, and this is a big change for us because it means that we can do something that, that reaches into the longer terms, that's preventative around hair coursing. Um, that, that an offender with a penalty that says they can't keep dogs means that, that we can check that. You know, we can we can make sure that, that, that they're adhering to the, the court penalty. So um, a, a big step in the right direction. One additional thing that we've been asking for and, and the government is supportive of at this time um, is that the court can pass on the, the kenneling costs. So, you know, in Lincolnshire, we've been seizing dogs at every opportunity. It's a really effective tactic. It takes away the, the tool that the offenders use. Well, it costs the taxpayer thousands of pounds to, to seize a dog, to keep it in kennels, and for, to wait for that, that uh, case to go to court. Well, the court can now impose those kenneling costs on offenders. That's, that's the proposal, and it means that every force in the country, those 30 Operation Galileo forces, will look to seize dogs at every opportunity. And, and, I, and I think these are the things that will be a game-changer for, for hair coursing and the enforcement of hair coursing. Oh, it's excellent news. Legislation tends to move rather slowly. What's the next step and how long do we think it's going to be before these powers will actually be on the statute books? It's possible that before the end of this hair coursing season, we could see those new powers in place. Um, and so actually having an impact on, on, on offences that, that we're, we're starting to deal with now. Optimistically, I, I think that that's maybe the case. But I, I think realistically, we can expect to see that for the hair coursing season, uh, next season, so starting in September this year, that we will have these new powers and, and we will be able to take a new approach to, to policing hair coursing. Definitely good news and definitely a step in the right direction. Let's turn to equipment theft. Has that seen any increase, decrease this year? Well, we've, we've seen a change. Um, and one of the things that was predicted by the sort of the national intelligence units around this was that um, through Brexit, we would see a reduction in the volume of large, heavy equipment that was being stolen and, and, and taken out of the country because the organised crime groups that are involved in that would have difficulty in, in getting it to their markets. And we know that uh, items, um, large items of equipment that have been stolen from Lincolnshire appeared in Afghanistan, in North Africa, um, in, in Eastern Europe and, and further afield even than that. Um, and and the, the organised crime groups have difficulty in getting them. So we've, we've seen a move towards uh, the electronic equipment being stolen from vehicles and smaller, more portable items uh, going from rural locations. Um, so, so that's been a change that we've seen over the past couple of years. We're starting to see the, the large equipment creeping back in again as, the, um, as those organised crime groups are, are finding their roots again. So it's a changing picture it's one that we are working with, obviously, our, our friends at Border Force, our colleagues there, um, and, and other forces as well. But I would say, I mean, where you've got that kind of valuable equipment, you need to do all that you can to protect it, and we'll work with you to support you in doing so. And the ever-present nuisance of fly-tipping. We've seen statistics just the last few days that uh, there's been about a 16% increase across the country, but a significant increase in Lincolnshire. 
Yeah, a number of different challenges. So fly-tipping fly is uh, is a crime. It's an issue that's led by our, our seven district councils in Lincolnshire. They've come together to form a, a new operation where they share information and we work with them to enforce around that. So that's Operation Asgard. It follows a very similar model to our Operation Galileo. Um, and one of the things is that we look to increase reporting. And we know, speaking to farmers, they'll say when they find a relatively small deposition of fly tipping, they won't always report it. And we need it reporting. Um, the district councils need that information. We'll support the investigation. The districts have the, the, the powers to, to enforce on that. Um, we also work with the Environment Agency, and that's kind of at the other end of the scale. Um, we've seen a number of sites in Lincolnshire where it's been industrial scale fly tipping. So this isn't simply the, the back of a van. This is, this is an HGV. This is a trailer full. And again, it's organized criminality. So I'm kind of, on the one hand, disappointed that we see the reports increase. On, on the other side, you know, I'm, I'm more interested in talking to our farming communities and, and, and saying, you know, if they have the faith to report, then it gives us the better chance of preventing, of enforcing and of dealing with, uh, with those things. So really positive work with the district councils, I have to say. Um, if uh, A message for your listeners would always be, if you see somebody fly tipping, if they're actively there doing it, it's a crime in progress. Call us on 999, the police will attend. If you find a deposition, if you find um, a, a pile of, uh, of rubbish that's been left by the side of the road or in a field or whatever, then call the district council and we will support their investigation. Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, don't just kind of shrug your shoulders and go and get the tractor to shift it. Do report it. Absolutely. Very much so. You know, we, we really need that. And, and we do find time and time again that there's evidence in that fly tipping of where it's come from. And that's how those prosecutions happen. And, you know, we're quite happy that the, the local media, yourselves, anybody can, can report that to show that, you know, we are taking action against it. And, and whilst we all feel frustrated, this is a community solution. We can, we can work together to solve it. And looking a bit more positively towards the future, we have the onset of the Rural Crime Action Team. Yeah, re- really pleased about that. And, and and kind of a little bit of background, perhaps, to say that it was the, the National Farmers Union and, and the CLA got together. They've, they obviously cover nationally. They've seen some of the positive work that our police colleagues have done in, in, in other force areas. Uh, they came together and worked with Police Crime Commissioner Mark Jones, with the new Chief Constable, Chris Howard, and said, look, we, we need a dedicated task force. We need a, a rural team that will target the things that are really important to our rural communities. And the force was absolutely persuaded of that need. And, and it's really good to see that we've now, um, as part of the uplift program, the increase in the number of officers in the force, we've we now got a dedicated team. The first day that the sergeant and the first PC went out, two arrests, two dogs seized. Um, so, so they started with a bang, you know, absolutely a committing to, to going out and, and visiting farmers. Uh, so they're starting to have an impact already. But I think they'll properly be on stream probably by April, May with the detectives as part of that team. Phil, more power to your elbow with all the initiatives that you're putting in place and have a very happy new year and good luck and best wishes to all your colleagues. Thanks for joining us, Phil. Thanks, Steve. Good to speak to you. Thank you. DEFRA has recently launched a grant support scheme called the Farming Transformation Fund and details have been announced of the first version of the Elms Sustainable Farming Incentive. To tell us more, on the phone from Mason Surveyors of Louth, Ella Redrup. Let's start with the Sustainable Farming Incentive, please, Ella. It's coming in to basically replace the, the basic payment scheme as we know it. Uh, with a more environmental focus, particularly focus on soils. It's a scheme that's available to all farmers that have historically claimed the basic payment scheme and it's split into three different environmental standards depending on the nature of your farming business, whether it's arable, uh, grassland or moorland and rough grazing. Do we know what the standards are, what you've actually got to do to be successful in getting the money? 
Yeah, so just before Christmas, DEFRA released some further guidance, which we've been kind of long waiting for. And each of these three environmental standards are split into different levels. So, for example, an introductory level for the arable standard, there's £22 per hectare on offer. But in order to be able to, to claim that money, you've got to be testing your soil for organic matter and preparing a soil management plan. You've got to have 70% of your land with uh, winter cover and then also be adding organic matter into your soil. So there's quite a big criteria to meet uh, in order to claim what is now in kind of comparative terms to what people have been used to with the basic payment scheme, quite a small amount of money. Mm. And this runs for three years, but they're saying that more standards are going to be added. Yes, rather than kind of putting the the whole scheme out there from the start, they're expecting over the next three to four years that uh, more standards are going to be added, there's going to be more options available. And as time goes on, and even if you're in an agreement, every 12 months, there'll be a chance to review that agreement and change the different standards that you're in, different levels that you're working to. So it, it appears to be quite a flexible scheme. It also sounds quite complicated, I have to say. Um, There are introductory, intermediate and advanced levels. Does that affect the amount that you get paid? It does. So, for example, under the arable uh, standard, if you wanted to move from that introductory level up to the intermediate payment level, you'd be getting £40 a hectare. But, of course, with that comes more requirements beyond that, the advanced, even more. But nowhere near the £230-odd per hectare that we've been used to under basic payment scheme. Okay, so that's the sustainable farming incentive. What about the farming transformation fund, Ella? These are much larger scale projects uh, at the moment under kind of water management heading. There's a lot more farmer investment required in order to be eligible for that grant funding. How much is on offer for this and how much would a farmer have to, do they have to match fund it or how does it work? There's 40% of the eligible costs on offer as grant funding, but the uh, minimum grant funding on offer is 35,000, which means uh, the minimum project size has got to be £87,500 to be eligible. So not many farmers are going to have projects at that kind of funding level. But certainly if you're looking to change from rain gun application to trickle or boom application for irrigation or constructing a farm reservoir, and that fund is certainly there and available uh, for applications. Okay, and initial applications have to be in before the 12th? Yeah. 12th of January, yeah. And then a full application by June, is that right? In end of June, so it, it will then go through, once the initial application's been um, submitted, then those assessed to have the best fit to the scheme priorities will be invited to submit a full application by the end of June. Okay, thanks for that, Ella. And where can we find more information about this? The uh, government uh, website is a great place to start for all information to do with the sustainable farming incentive, all the grant funding available, and also changes to the basic payment scheme as we go through this transition period um, between now and 2027. But also seeking kind of professional advice in respect to these matters is imperative. Just because the scheme is out there doesn't mean it's going to be the best fit for your farming business. So uh, having a conversation with your advisor, looking at the farm, looking at what you've got available to you is a great place to start. And and land agents up and down the county will be more than happy to assist you in that process. And I'm assuming that's something that Masons could help with. Absolutely. Yeah, no, we've got a team here at Masons that that do just that. So um, 
we're, we're more than happy to, to have those conversations with people as, as a starting point and and really kind of look at people's businesses and help them plan for the future because I think that's the way it's going to go. Planning for the future is, is key and we've got this transition period for a reason. So now more than ever is the time to start planning and, and looking at looking at your business. Okay. And how could somebody contact Masons? Our website is masons-surveyors.co.uk or pick up the phone and we'd be more than happy to help. All right, Ella. Thank you very much indeed for joining us this morning. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Steve. New to the farming programme, we welcome one of Ella's colleagues, Oliver Chapman, auctioneer at Louth Livestock Market. I'm delighted that Oliver's going to review the market for us each week, starting with last Monday's sale. Good morning, Oliver. Good morning, Steve. A happy new year to all. Monday the 3rd of January's market saw an increased number in all sections to kick the new year off, with the prime steers topping at 240 pence per kilo and £1,437 for J.C. Scully of Bournemouth, while F. Wallace & Sons sold heifers to 264 pence per kilo and Kev Chafer of Borough selling heifers to £1,556. Next to the over 30 months, heifers hit a top of 217 pence per kilo and £1,367 for R.L. Ritchie, while the cool cows sell to 148 pence per kilo and gross £1,194 for S.G. Danby & Sons. Moving on to the sheep with a tremendous show of hogs saw an all-in average of £125 per head, which is £21 a head more than the opening week of 2021, with an SQQ average of £281 per kilo. Top price in the hogs went to P Steel, hitting a high of £150, with a pence per kilo section top price shared by Scrivelsby Farms Limited and SD Swindle at 313 pence per kilo. Finally on to the cool ewes, which again saw another strong show, seeing 134 on offer to average all in £111 per head, which again is £10 per head on average more than 2021's opening week. The top price was shared by three vendors this week, firstly by AB Grange Farms, then followed by RL Hartley, and finally TR and J Fox all hitting a top of £150. Prime and cool cattle and prime and cool sheep are required for tomorrow's sale. Please do not hesitate to contact me to discuss marketing options. This is Oliver for Louth Market and Masons, and thank you. Thanks, Oliver. To the grain markets now, we welcome back after the festive break, Open Fields' Kit Dickinson. Morning, Kit. Good morning, Steve, and Happy New Year. This week, I look at what lies ahead in the next 12 months. The world is watching whether or not there will be an increase in global cereal availability, which will alleviate the current tight stock situation. Pundits anticipate a large American maize crop, but they are reliant first on the plantings picking up pace and the arrival of the La Nina weather phenomenon not interfering with crop growth. Both factors directly affect the timing and the availability of the exportable surplus and the nearby market position. There needs to be a large global wheat crop to rebuild stocks with Russia and US major contributors. If the global wheat crop does recover, then the first indication is that there might be a weakening in new crop prices going forward. Other key issues that could affect the domestic market in 2022 include the potential for the UK to return to a wheat surplus and high freights. If maize imports become cheaper, then it could displace wheat, which would have to be exported. If the maize holds the price, then the greater reliance on the domestic wheat, which could keep our prices firming and going higher. So given the fundamentals of the global wheat and local grain markets right now, where is the UK price likely to go? Imported grain, particularly milling wheat for 2021 spot price, is still trading at a 15 to £20 a tonne above domestic prices. Just because the market has gone up already does not mean that it could go up further, though. 
Winter is a good time of year to review the marketing options and it offers an opportunity to react to spot price fluctuations as well as monitoring longer term trends. For example, spring malting barley premium is currently exceptionally high at around 50 to 60 pounds a tonne over feed. In a commodity market, growers must be able to flex to capitalise on any opportunity that suits the farm. In the medium term, the UK shortage of HGV drivers looks set to continue, which presents a challenge. Until the government rolls out a national strategy, it is going to take a while to resolve. But this raises the topic of what value is better sought from local markets. Local markets have an, have an important role to play in pricing and mitigating risk. There is probably going to be an increased focus on the domestic market because we are likely to see fewer years where we have an exportable surplus. Therefore, there is a greater importance in understanding what is being grown and who it is being grown for, because the export market may not be there. In Lincolnshire, there will soon be an ethanol plant in East Yorkshire, flour milling operations in South Yorkshire, as well as demand for animal feed and industrial alcohol production. There are lots of market opportunities available. So looking forward this week to prices, January 200 to 210 for feed wheat x the farm, Moving forward to March at 210 to 217 and a small increase to May at 212 to 219. Looking at November new crop, 180 to 188 pounds. Milling wheat premiums are circa 45 to 50 pounds. Feed barley for January, 195 to 200. March, 200 to 208. May, 202 to 210. November, 160 to 170 feed barley November new crop. Malting barley premiums, as I alluded to earlier, are currently £60. Oil seed rate, January 615 to 620, but March onwards remaining reasonably flat, 620 to 625. And November new crop is 460 to £470. Thank you very much. Many thanks, Kit. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. A cold, mostly calm and mostly dry week, with the westerly breeze easing off today, leaving a largely dry day with highs of 4 Celsius, staying much the same overnight. Monday looks to be a couple of degrees warmer, calm and dry. Temperatures staying around 5 Celsius day and night until Wednesday night when they drop down to around 2 Celsius. Tuesday sees some rain forecast while Wednesday looks clear and sunny. It turns colder for the end of the week with nighttime lows of freezing point and not much warmer during the day. Staying calm, dry and sunny into the weekend. Next week, we welcome Sean Sparling back with some timely agronomy advice and take a look ahead to Farmhouse Breakfast Week. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a good week.